0: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. On page 114 of the book, you have the seven circles, the seven most important areas of your life, your spirituality, your physical health, your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, and your finances. In this episode today, we are diving into the circle of finances specifically how multimillionaires think about wealth creation the person you are going to meet today is the ceo of the family office club and you're going to quickly learn what a family office is but once you have a net worth of 20 to 30 million and up you start thinking about forming a family office and the net worth of the the people that this guy works with are anywhere from that 20 million up to 100 $200, 500000000 million. Dollars. And the purpose of this is to dive into the mindset required to get there. How did these people think long before they had that type of net worth? Because these people did not inherit that money. They created it. What was their mindset? Where did they focus? How did they think about their business and protecting their business? And then once they were at that level, what are the things they think about now? The reason that we believe this is important to you is because when we talk about setting goals, it's not about just asking, where do I want to be and mapping a plan out? It's about time traveling into the future someday from now and asking, what would life look like if it was absolutely amazing in my spiritual life, my physical health, my personal life, my relationships, my job, my business, my finances? And based on that someday vision, working backwards and asking, Where do I need to be five years from now to feel like I'm on track for my someday? And based on that, where can I be by the end of this year to be on track for my five? And based on that, what can I do this month to be on track for my year? And based on that, what can I do this week to be on track for my month? That's why we use the 411, which is our tool for getting clarity on your priorities, which if you don't have a copy, go to the one thing.com. That's with the number one in the URL and click on free stuff and you can get a copy there. With that, buckle your seatbelts and get ready for this episode on The Family Office, how multimillionaires think about wealth creation with Richard C. Wilson.
1: Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready to eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen Richard, I appreciate the
0: time. I want to kick it off for the people who do not know what a family office is. Give us a little background.
2: Sure. Essentially, as you become wealthier, you have different needs. And every little mistake you make can cost you a lot more. So very naturally, the wealth management and protection needs of someone who's worth 20, 30, $100 million or much more are different. And that's why there's a family office, which just is a holistic... Wealth Management and Wealth Protection System for protecting and growing your wealth. It's really as simple as that. There's really only a few types. And the main two types is a single family office just for yourself. So the whole team is serving your investment goals and protecting you. And then there's the multifamily office, which might have three clients, 10 clients, 50 clients. But it's one organization serving a lot of external clients, almost like just a more holistic wealth management firm and it's not just for you and your family and you don't have to manage that team but it's a you know a centralized organization for many clients.
0: So what i'm hearing you say is when when people you know they say oh put 10% into your 401k you get to a certain net worth level that you're not just handing your money to one of those big companies to management to manage it an actual team gets assembled for you.
2: Right, that's correct. Yeah, you need a different skill set and you need a more holistic team. Because imagine if you have an insurance agent you use and then a wealth advisor and a CPA and then someone who helps you in the real estate investment space, if they don't talk to each other and you take a three percent hit on your taxation, maybe that's no big deal. Maybe it's you know seven thousand dollars that you lost or seventeen thousand. But if you're worth fifty million and you take a seven percent hit on a major part of your portfolio, that could have paid for a full time team. Uh, For part of the year or the whole year, from that one little mistake of people not talking to each other, not watching the details. That just shows why little mistakes are magnified when you're worth more. And to make matters worse, When you're worth so much, everybody wants your time. Everyone wants to ask for your money. You have a large team. You have many assets to oversee. You're usually a more popular person on planet Earth when you have a lot of money. So you have less time. You're more likely to make a mistake, to be honest, because you're just so stretched thin for time.
0: Right, right. And like we mentioned, the reason we're having this conversation is a lot of people set goals just looking forward. And the way we teach it is go way out someday. You know, Think about it. What do you want your net worth to look like someday from now? And if you imagine being a multi, multi-millionaire, this is very much something that you will need to be considered. So we're going to dive into number one, how you get there. And then number two, once you are there, the things that you need to have in consideration. So Richard, at this point, you've got 1,500 different registered family offices that you work with. So you've had your fair share of interacting with people who play at that level. For the people who don't have a 20 to $30 million net worth yet, what are the trends and themes that you saw that got those people to that level? Sure. It's
2: a great question. And uh, it wasn't the reason I got into this space, but it's what keeps it constantly interesting. Because selfishly, I love seeing how the centimillionaires I work with created their wealth and are now propelling it forward And their defense is oftentimes a good offense within their space. And so very much connected to everything you do, I found that it is a very focused approach. They do oftentimes look at their business portfolio like a strategic chessboard and not like, hey, I'm doing this one thing for the rest of my life. They more look at it as what is my one biggest strength? What is my one strongest, as Dan Sullivan would say, unique ability And they would, they oftentimes find that, they find how they create value and then focus on that. And that can mean focusing on manufacturing only for 40 years for all of their proactive investments. It can mean going into a certain type of real estate niche and using very rinse and repeat strategies and always iterating those over time. But the the main thing that I've gotten from it is that it is the second and the third generation families that typically diversify themselves to such an extent that they have no real concentration anywhere. And they're just trying not to lose the first generation's wealth and the ones who are propelling their wealth forward. There's no blanket investment advice for anyone. So obviously don't anyone take it as this, but from my clients that I just see that it's second, third January diversifying like crazy, trying to play defense at the extreme while the ones who are jumping their net worth by hundred million a year, 50 million a year, which are currently my clients, they're playing an offense by focusing on where they can add the most value in the economy or within their business niche. And I just see that as a very distinct difference between those that are growing their wealth rapidly. And I'm happy to answer more questions about that because we could talk about this one question the whole time if you wanted to. (laughs) Um, It's something that I I never get tired digging into deeper.
0: And I want to clarify something. The majority of your clients, did they inherit this money or did they make it themselves?
2: Um, only one of our 25 clients worth over $100 million uh, inherited the wealth. The rest are all self-made. None of them won the lottery by chance. None of them are professional athletes either. They weren't born with great genes. And that is the sole reason, like physical genes at least weren't the reason. So I think that is really important. These are self-made people and they're pretty much the the winners in the game of capitalism. I know uh, for a fact that also wasn't gotten through you know, ill or bad ethical, political means, because you hear about that a lot in the media now too.
0: Right, right. I think that's important for people to understand because I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes and you're listening to this going, but I didn't hear it this well, then maybe I don't have clarity on what that one area is I'm going to focus on. I'll, I'll share with you, You know, there's the quote in the one thing from FM Alexander, people don't decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. I look at somebody like Gary Keller and I asked what habits did he acquire that made him Gary Keller? And the one that I can really put my finger on is he mastered succeeding through others, which I then Mm -hmm. applied the focusing question. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to succeed through others. And it came down to coaching people to their possibilities. Well, what's the one thing you can do to coach people to their possibilities? Ask them great questions. Well, what's the one thing you can do to learn to ask great questions? And I got it all the way down to it was ask one question a day when I normally would have told. And that became a habit for me and has unlocked so much, it's blown my mind. My question for you, Richard, is when you look at these people, what do you think the habits are that they acquired that made achieving their someday vision a reality?
2: I think part of it is a a hunger for a competitive advantage, in the marketplace and are constantly sharpening that edge so it could be an information edge it could be their vertical integration it could be their acquisition of choke points it could be a niche domination of a space or a platform strategy where one part of their business produces leads for another part but there's that constant hunger like the habit of constantly building that next piece of intellectual property uh, or getting up early to, to knock out that next project or next deal because they know it's going to get them another 1% advantage in the marketplace. And that strive to be always uh, tweaking and iterating, even though they already have done very well for themselves, I think is kind of a mindset you know habit uh, that turns into like daily actions for them. And I think that part of it comes from getting to a point in your life where you don't need to work ever again if you didn't want to. So if you are going to choose to work, you might as well do something that you are enjoying and play the game that you want to be playing. So these aren't people that are like forced to be working to pay their mortgage They're like, hey, I'm free from that. So I want to move towards what I want to do, not just moving away what I'm trying to keep from crumbling, like, you know, debt over their head or something. And the way that I relate to this, because I'm not a centimillionaire and these people weren't either is just looking at how you can move through different phases towards that and get to the point where you've got the team around you to do the things that you enjoy doing the most and to focus on the space in your industry where you do add the most value. So happy to provide a couple examples, but... I've got a question because I want to summarize and
0: and simplify it Mm because you're you're talking at a high level. And I think for what I heard you say is that all these people are learning-based. Right. Our question for you is if we were to follow you around and document your every action, would it tell us that you wake up every single day with a thirst to learn more?
2: For sure, yes. I mean, I think that um, I used to think that meant reading a book a day or two podcasts a day or inputting a million new messages into my brain per day. That's what I used to think it meant. At some point, I got to a tipping point where... The integrity of my actions with the things I had learned and then being very focused with what learning curves I'm moving up and why became more critical than the volume of things I was learning. So if you Mm. have high conviction in where you want to go, then you can say, "Okay, these three learning curves are absolutely critical and I'm going to speed my way up those and black out the rest of the world. I don't need general business startup advice. I don't need copywriting help. I don't need leadership you know, Maxwell books or the six minute leader, et cetera. I need to learn how to raise capital or I need to learn how to get access to new investors every week, or I need to learn how to close lower middle market, small deals of my, my smallest competitors. And those are the only learning curves I want to move up. So with a laser focus, I'm going to move up those very quickly instead of trying to be a little smarter in all these different areas you know if you, if you don't know where you're trying to go then you don't know what learning curves are critical so i think that's it's all connected
0: yeah well it's it's interesting i think for a lot of people they listen to a lot of podcasts they listen to a lot of audiobooks or read a lot of books yet there's not a lot of strategy behind it they're not doing it because they have a specific they're focusing on mastering this one subject and they're diving deep and consuming the content in that area so they can truly master it and build habits around that, they're diversifying their learning. Right. right. I'm, I'm hearing you say that these people, it's narrowing the focus.
2: Right. For sure. I think uh, the more narrow, than typically the more value, as long as you've put thought into what turf you're trying to occupy long-term and one, what sandbox you're trying to be competing in, then you know, you can be very focused in what is going to be needed to get you there.
0: For the person who doesn't have clarity on where they should be focusing or mastering yet, what questions can they ask themselves to go on a journey of self-discovery?
2: I would look back at their life of what, where they've done well, where they've excelled, where people were amazed at the results they produced with very little effort, what they're drawn to do, even when they're not paid to do it. But also look at what The world will pay a lot of money for or what could make a lot of money because um otherwise you're not gonna be able to pay the rent what you're passionate about and what your background is relevant to and find the intersection of those three things so that you are only saying yes to things that make it through the screen of making money you know your background your your dna of your experience uh but also things that you're passionate about and if you fit things only through that screen then that can be a good place to start um, because What I found is that if you only say yes to things that could make you a lot of money, you might not stick to it long enough or do the extra work or go that extra mile or have the extra passion to get it done. And if you only have one or two of those three screens and someone else is going to take your lunch money and you're just not going to make it to the point of actually doing well in your niche, I think.
0: Yeah. So just to summarize, it's what you really are passionate about doing, what you're actually great at doing and what you can make a lot of money doing. And it's the intersection of those three. Right, Folks, just something to consider. Asking what am I great at? What am I passionate about? And what am I going to make a lot of money at? And finding that intersection. Do you think that's a small question that you just ask and all of a sudden, poof, you know the answer? No. (laughs) It's a bigger question, which means it's going to require you to search for a bigger answer. Which means it may not come instantly. So our question is, think about that two-inch little domino. How much time... Can you invest? Considering that today, what's the minimum amount of time? Can you do 10 seconds? It may not seem like much, but what would happen if for the next 66 days, you asked that question and for 10 seconds pondered the answer? Do you think you'd get closer? Would you maybe even Make asking that question a habit to the point that on a subconscious level, you would be looking for the answer. The path to clarity starts by getting on the path. So, will you start there? Richard, you said something to me uh, that I thought was super interesting about people, the people that you work with getting to that level. Uh, You said two words, alignment and integrity. They all had alignment and integrity. What does that mean?
2: For me, there's there's nothing more important than integrity in, for personal and business life. So it means that once you've decided on where you're going or at least what direction you want to be headed in, then everything needs to be integrated, not just moral integrity, because if you don't have that, that'll also be in conflict with making progress, but integrity in terms of where you live. Where your office is based, who's on your team, who are your partners, what industry do you choose, you know, what clothes you wear, you know, how you speak, what you study, what books you read, what podcasts you listen to. And if you are really into flipping single family residential homes, and that's how you've been making money on the side while you're doing your corporate job to pay the bills, but when you're spending all your free time learning about something that maybe has nothing to do with either, and it's just about business startup advice or leadership advice, those things aren't in integrity. Like You need to be aligning those things together, um, everything from your habits to to things you consume to people you surround yourself with. And the more things are integrated, then the more powerful and effective you'll be in everything you do. And then people will notice all around you that you are headed towards that goal, because there'll be be evidence all around you that that's the case.
0: Yeah, this is... It's really interesting from a 40,000 foot level to think about having clarity on what you want and making sure that your actions are in integrity with that and that everything that you do, the dominoes are lined up, right? It sounds really right. simple and yet it's kind of challenging to do. And I, I remember my first week on the job, I had a conversation with Jay Papazan and he said the number one way to get out of business with Gary and me is to not truly live the book every day. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you're going to go on a road to mastery and you're going to fail every day and you're going to constantly be getting better. And the deeper that we've studied this, we've started to figure out that you have to have clarity on what really matters to you. Like for Jay, for example, he's got three things he lives his life by. Any opportunity that pops up has to serve these three things at a nine or 10 out of 10. It has to serve family, it has to serve impact, and it has to serve abundance. Every opportunity his way has to contribute to him being there as the best father and husband, has to be there in terms of him expanding his impact, and it has to be there in terms of creating abundance for other people. And if it doesn't meet those things, they say no. Do you see this with the people that you work with?
2: For sure. For sure. And I think it's good that you said, oh, yeah, it sounds so easy because it's really not easy to implement. You know, I had um, all my friends and family growing up in Portland, Oregon. But I was running a business serving the ultra wealthy, and there's not many of them in that cold state with high taxes. So <laughs> I made the uh,
0: <laughs> nice nice
2: dig. <laughs> I made the uh, decision to you know move across the country, and now I live on the island of Key Biscayne. Where at a single birthday party for my three year old's friend, you know, last week I met more family offices in that half day that just happened to be there at the birthday party talking to them casually than I did six years living in Portland, Oregon, running this business. So yeah, it was not easy to move myself across the country to a family office environment. It's fun to be here. uh, But making that decision to put my life in a more integrated situation is not easy to implement. Uh, I recently dropped out of a three-year-old mastermind group because just one of the seven people in my mastermind was the type of person that I just didn't want my brain being influenced by. And just not a good moral character. I was like, wow, this is just uh, friction and it's just not, uh, just doesn't belong in my life. It doesn't fit my rules for how people should behave. So I'm opting out and it was not fun to act on that, but otherwise I'm not being, you know, I'm not really acting in full integrity by allowing something like that negatively influencing like how I think or how I act. So I think that like, the actual pulling of the trigger of it takes a lot of courage and conviction on on what you stand for and what rules you're going to live by.
0: This is interesting because I went through a similar transition when I got clear that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my five and said, they're all amazing. Love them. Going to keep them in my life. And I have no business seeking guidance from them on how to build a business when they're not business owners. Right. What were right. the limiting beliefs that you had when you're back in Portland and you're just starting to realize that you know what? Maybe you need to make a change.
2: I mean, one of them was just uh, that the costs would go up, and you know, uh, I probably delayed a year, a year and a half, or two, just thinking like, oh well, I hope we can recoup that. I hope things will go better. And uh, one thing I realized, but didn't realize till I got here, is not that there would be a slight increase. It's that If you live and you work in a space where there are no clients around you and you're not surrounded by the clients, then that means like, let's say your mortgage is $2,000 a month or your rent is, that means that that is like a dead cost and it's just a cost. You know, there's There's no way to make money from that where you're based. You're not meeting new leads. You're not really getting a lot of juice out of it personally either, perhaps. But if you go to a place like I did where business is all around you and you naturally can make new connections, then all you need is one, two clients and all of a sudden your $4,000 a month mortgage or rent might be break even or free or not cost anything, or you might be healthier and you'll live longer and have more energy and lose weight naturally by being in a warm place with less taxes. So even if you take the tax thing out of it, just the fact that if you're in a place where it's not conducive to business and you're not loving it for business and personal reasons, it's not only having a personal drag, but there's no way it's ever going to tilt where that is a positive ROI on that $2,000 a month, where in the right place, yeah, $4,000 a month on the surface. But it actually turns into an investment that's a positive ROI that never was possible in the place that's bad for you to be residing in.
0: Hmm. You fast forward and suddenly you're achieving extraordinary results. You've built... A business that makes an impact. You've got a team that, that scales it without you. Your net worth is steadily climbing. Of all the people you work with, where are they focusing now that they quote, have it all?
2: I would say that uh, those people are focusing on their platform model of their, their operating business. So they're focusing on how the dynamics of the different divisions of their operating business are playing with each other to have an advantage that that other people do not have in the marketplace. So because they are long-term committed and they're choosing to apply their energy to an opportunity, they don't feel forced into it or required to do it. It's being at that next level of strategy of willing to do the thing that might take a long time to pay off or willing to acquire that choke point that takes a lot of work to acquire and a lot of thinking and relationship building, but they'll do that to close off the past for competitors and, and make their life easier. So I think that, um, that mindset is, is pretty unique to the family offices I work with. And I think part of it emerged as they were creating their wealth. It wasn't like once they became worth $200 million, somebody gave them that idea. I think part of that was through the discovery of what worked for them and how they got to that net worth level.
0: When you say choke point, do you almost mean like a protective moat for their business?
2: Yeah, like uh, whether it's an intellectual piece of property or a distribution point, just like locking things up that lower (laughs) their own costs or just give them massive strategic advantage.
0: So this is what's crazy. It's like, again, surround yourself with the right people. One of my first meetings with Gary Keller, I remember when I'm sharing my vision for our business and he looked at it and he said, what's the protective moat? And, mm-hmm. I, and I looked at him, I said, what are you talking about? And he said, what's the moat that you can build around your business that will ensure that competition can never cross it and, and come and, and take your business away from you? Right. Folks, for you listening to this, if you have aspirations of of scaling your business, how much time and focus have you put into asking, what's your protective moat? How can you protect what you are doing? Because like Richard's saying, these people who are getting to this level, it's not like they got $200 million and then started asking the question. They asked it from the beginning. So what's the one thing you're not doing that if you started doing over time would allow you to establish that? I remember... Gary Keller teaching a class on wealth building. And he showed this slide called the path of money. And it showed basically where you get your lowest returns and ultimately where the highest returns come from. And the lowest returns were when you're passive and you're lending money, i.e. keeping it in the bank or you know, you're know, you not getting anything. And on the highest end, it's when you have control and you own the asset. And one of the greatest returns is, is business ownership. When you look at the people that you work with who have that level of a net worth, how are they investing their funds?
2: Typically, they're focused just on the industry where they created their wealth. Uh, sometimes if the family's worth over four or 500 million, they've, they've chosen three different spaces to invest in. If they did not create their wealth in real estate, typically they're putting 25% into real estate. But one of the most important parts about that is just how they attract a deal flow. Because what I found consistently is that the individual who can get the exclusive deal flow or the most deal flow of a high quality or they can see deals first or at a better valuation because they're adding strategic value then those are the people that are going to win over time because there's compounding returns and getting a deal 20 percent cheaper over and over and over again and just getting the deals done period can be hard to to do because they're hard to find and so We help families put into place things that act as kind of deal flow multipliers and bring them additional deal flow over and over again and i think there's some lessons here for listeners whether you are raising capital or whether you are looking to acquire small companies as an angel investor or a small single family office yourself i think it's important to know that the best investors for a a small business or a venture are ones that already made money in that space because investors have to move up three kind of trust curves before they allocate. Typically, they have to move up the curve of what's going on in this whole industry uh, and the whole environment that you're in, what's going on within the specific executive team and the CEO or you yourself. If you're the person raising capital, You know how much can I trust the team? And then the very specific opportunity has to be trusted too. So for example, if you're raising capital for a self-storage piece of real estate, the person has to be aware of what self-storage is, how it operates, what's going on with the industry, the macro trends on some level before they invest. They also need to know that you are a good captain of the boat of acquiring self-storage units because of your background and your experience. But then the exact self-storage location you want to acquire, they're not going to blindly allocate typically. They want to know kind of what the asset is they're acquiring. And so finding the investors who are already up the learning curve on one of those three is important. That's why people start with friends and family when they're raising capital. They're already up the trust curve on who you are. They already trust you so much. They're so far up that that they'll almost allocate to other things without knowing much. But once you've already done that, because that's kind of intuitive, it's going to the people who are already up the learning curve on your industry because they created their wealth there and going there so that you don't have to explain the ABCs of self-storage to someone. You can shortcut that and just skip to what your opportunity is and who you are. And so I think that that is something that even families that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars come to me and they're looking at what they should be investing in. And they sometimes forget that they add the most value where they already have massive advantages in the space. So believe it or not, like even the families who create that wealth have to be told this over and over again, uh, typically even though it seems like it should be obvious since that's how they created their wealth. It's not always intuitive to them. that They should continue to do so. (laughs)
0: Well, it's like the monotony of success, right? (laughs) The right right activities are boring. You want to, you want to do, you want to chase the new shiny object, the new shiny opportunity. It's exciting and it's not aligned with the things that actually got you to where you are. (laughs) Right. So to to recap, I, I heard three things. It's first and foremost, having a knowledge of that specific industry as a whole, then within the industry, being able to know that the executive team of that opportunity is the right team and that within that, that specific opportunity is the right opportunity. Right. Makes you uh, kind of think back of, well, I'm thinking back to all the other places that I have invested capital in the past and realized, wow, I was just gambling.
2: (laughs) Also uh, important to that last point you made, it's really important to know that there are going to be strategic fruits from your investments and you can predict what's going to grow on those branches. So if you're investing in mobile apps, but then also stem cells and then also Bitcoin and then also your friend's bakery, unless the common thread is your ability to do marketing or some, some common technique or strategy, there's not going to be a lot of synergies that come from that diversity. But if you go and you invest in five different types of stem cell solutions or five different types of bakeries, the strategic fruits from that could be many things in terms of sourcing raw materials, staff, the locations, delivery, you know, refrigerated delivery, storage, etc. You know, so I mean, you can predict the fruits that could be produced from saying yes to an investment and know that that's going to have unpredictable and predictable strategies. But you know that even the unpredictable will be relevant and I think that's what a lot of families sometimes miss is they just start scattering their wealth around. And it's like, what's the best case scenario there? You get a one-time hit, but you you haven't you know, focused on that as your area. So you're not gonna be able to use that hit to really take that lesson to your other holdings.
0: Richard, put yourself in the shoes of the person who's listening to this, who desires to be at the level of a family office one day and is not yet. And they're hearing you talking about really knowing an industry, knowing how to assess an executive team, knowing how to assess a specific opportunity and boil it all the way back down to what is that one thing that they can do such that by doing it over time would make assessing an industry executive team op- opportunity easier or unnecessary.
2: I think the most important thing is to know what turf you want to occupy long term and be so sure on it that you'll do whatever work you need to do for how, however long it takes to occupy that turf. And then just make everything in your life in full integrity with that.
1: And
0: what's the one thing someone can do that would make identifying that turf easier or unnecessary?
2: Hmm. For me, it's an iterative process of just meditating on that question. I mean, it's just making the time to do that. There's nothing else that has a better ROI in my mind than being very reflective upon exactly what that turf is mm. and how the pieces of your life have to support it. So I, I think that, like, But taking actions before you know where you're going is just worthless energy being thrown around.
0: For you who's listening, I'm going to lead you here a little bit. I heard Gary say once that to live an extraordinary life, you have to master something, and it only has to be one thing. So the question is, what's the one thing you can master such that by mastering it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? And if you don't know what your one thing is, what's your one thing to figure out your one thing, right? And like Richard just said, it's the iterative process of just asking the question. Can you simply ask the question once a day to the point that it becomes a habit? And if you did, what do you think would become possible? Richard, where can people learn more about you?
2: Uh, the best place would just be familyoffices.com. We've got a free book there, and um, that has all the information on our, our Family Office Club community as well.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is a topic we have not covered before. So I think this brought a lot of value to people.
2: Great. Thank you as well.
0: Well, there you have it, my conversation with Richard C. Wilson, CEO of the Family Office Club, which you can learn more about at www.familyoffices.com. I think the thing that really stands out on this episode is that people who achieved extraordinary financial success, at least per Richard, didn't get there through diversification. They got there through focus. They got there through... Planning, Meaning they had a clear vision of what they wanted, and they had a plan to get there. They understood what the objective, the big long-term goal was, and they made sure that their actions every day were aligned and in integrity with their vision. Out of everything that you heard in this episode, what's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it would make achieving that type of a lifestyle easier or unnecessary. Maybe you need to form a power habit of just asking yourself a bigger question every day. Maybe you like the idea of like Jay Papazian, understanding for him it's family, impact and abundance. Maybe you're just gonna have time blocked every week for you to ask the question, what are my values? What are the pillars that I am going to live life by and make decisions by every single day? That's powerful, folks. So powerful that we're considering weaving that into the next book that we are writing, the fable that's going to be based on the one thing. There's lots of goodies in this one, folks. Think big about being the type of person who can achieve these types of results and then go small, really small, to the point that you identify that two-inch domino that you can get up and simply knock down today. Because when you do one thing, the right thing, It topples over many things. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you are not yet subscribed, if you're new to the One Thing podcast, go ahead and click that subscribe button wherever you see it on the screen. That way, all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you have not left us a rating and review recently, please consider doing so on your podcast player of choice. We read every single one and it not only helps us reach more people, but it also lets us know we're going down the right track. For example, Sammy Pro 123. Thank you so much for your review. They shared that they are absolutely enamored with this podcast because of the high-level questions that we ask coupled with our ability to precisely explain theories, models, and the reasoning behind how success is built and achieved. Sammy Pro, thank you so much. Really means a lot. Folks, if you have not yet left us that rating and review, please do so. And a final note, if you are interested in joining Jay Papazian and myself here in Austin, June 23rd and 24th for the One Thing Mid-Year Reset Retreat, where we provide the space for you just to ask those bigger questions and put your plan in place for the next six months so you dominate the rest of the year, go to theonething.com slash reset retreat. That's with the number one in the URL, the one thing.com slash reset retreat. And we'll see you there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.